Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. Hello, we are back with another episode of Fate's Wide Wheel, covering the great Spontini uh, this week. And um, before we hop into our usual stuff, Dennis, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? This I, is a new setup here. It is. It is. Usually we're in the same room together, but this week we're recording remotely um, because as, as as I prepare for the impending arrival uh, of, of a child, the stuff has just been crazy schedule-wise, so we're just trying to get in uh, an episode however and wherever we can. Sure. So I saw, uh, because we are part of the same Facebook group that gives away free stuff, I saw you have you have a new couch? You got rid of oh, the old couch? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I do have a new couch. You can kind of maybe see it here. The, uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's much nicer. It's, it's still a little bit in disarray just because the... Um, the downstairs area uh, as a whole is in a bit of disarray right now because between the gas company cutting a hole in the wall and uh, me nicking the wall with the couch because I removed it by myself and uh, all this sort of stuff, there's been some repairs that have been going on. But I'm becoming quite handy, so that's good. You got the couch all the way back up the stairs by yourself? I did. Wow. Yeah, well... I got determined. What can I say? <laughs> All right. All right. Did someone pick it up out of the alley, I assume? Uh, unfortunately not. So we paid a little extra money, just a little extra money to have um, uh, have them haul it away. The Republic, you know, whatever they are, the, the garbage disposal people. Oh, for sure. Away. I, I would have loved to have done the recycling thing, which is what we did for our mattresses, but it would have cost almost three times as much. So I was just like, you know, I love the environment. But I just want it gone, and I don't want to pay 150 bucks. <laughs> I gotcha, for sure. Yeah. All right, well let's well, let's dive in to yeah. the great Spontini. Let's do it. This episode was directed by James Whitmore. It's his third of 15 episodes. Uh, he's also known for Jimmy Leap of Faith. He'll actually direct the next episode, Rebel Without a Clue. Uh, other notable episodes are the uh, trilogy trilogy uh and the finale mirror image it's written by christy dawson and beverly bridges this is christy dawson's only writing credit uh that i could find and uh, beverly bridges would write four more episodes of quantum leap including a hunting we will go permanent wave raped and the plays the thing um our air date is november the 16th 1990 our leap date is may the 9th 1974 sam has leapt into harry spontini and we're in oakland california Yes, we are. TV Guide description. Sam, Scott Bakula, is a magician in a tricky predicament when his estranged wife demands custody of their daughter, who's happy as her dad's assistant. So I'm going to jump back. So Beverly Bridges, like the, the episodes that you rattled off. Yes. I can see like a similar pattern and a writing style. Like, I, I feel like all of those episodes you rattle off in this episode are all kind of like weird cousins. Of each other. Yeah, I would completely agree. I mean, I think that, you know, obviously raped is is a bit heavier than the others, but um, I I think for the most part there is definitely um, some similar strains uh, when it comes to the dialogue. I I would argue that this one, while there are some really excellent moments, and and we'll get into that as we go on, that there are also some kind of clunkier sort of 
I wrote this because I needed to resolve something moments within the script, um, which is a little unfortunate at times because there are some, like I said, there's some incredibly strong moments and strong performances in the episode that get undercut just a little bit by like the last quarter of the episode, I would say. Yeah. And we have a huge violation of San Dimas time. <laughs> we will we will get to that at the end of the episode. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, we, we've talked about that trope on the show before, but yeah, six, uh, five. So <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, no, no. I'm not even talking about that, but yes, that too. Um, and you said that this was Christy Dawson's only writing credit. Do you mean? Total or just for Quantum Leap? Total. Only writing credit that I could find on IMDb. Uh, she apparently was an actor, uh, did some bit parts. Oddly enough, crosses over uh, into a couple of things that we've mentioned with other um, uh, actors and writers on the show. She was in Earth Girls Are Easy and uh, Medusa Dare to Be Truthful. So she's, she kind of has some crossover here, but yeah, the only writing credit I could find was this episode of Quantum Leap. Interesting. All yeah. right. Well, let's let's dive right in here or, or squeeze into a box right in here. So Sam, <laughs> so Sam leaps in. Uh, we did not talk about the leap in all intentionally last week. Uh, at the end of, of Black on White on Fire, just because the uh, just how horribly incongruous it is jumping out of the situation that Sam was in at the end of that episode, we intentionally didn't even talk about what he leaps into. Yeah, I, you know, it's, fu- this episode. it's funny because I, I think that for the most part, I'm usually fine with the leap outs and the leap ins because, you know, it's like it was a great teaser that got you hopefully interested in what was going to happen next week. And I can remember watching the show as a kid and always enjoying, you know, that little taste of what was to come. But rewatching the show, I would say that this is probably the third time um, where I have just been like, no, 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 please. We did not need to have a leap out. You know, the, the other one that comes to mind immediately is freedom. Um, and I'm sure that there's probably another one in there, but, but, you know, freedom and black on white on fire, those two episodes specifically, it's just kind of like, man, I would have been fine if they just, you know, leapt out into bluish white light and that was it. Sure. Sure. So yeah, he, he leaps in. He's obviously, he's in the the middle of a magic trick. We see his perspective from inside of the, of the, of the box, the contraption, the swords are all around him. And now for the sword of doom, there's a blade coming straight for his crotch. Yeah. And so he, he burst out and, and he is on stage of a rinky dink, uh, Nightclub, yeah, magic place. I'm not sure what what you would call it. It seems to be a nightclub because it seems like he's just one of m- multiple acts that perform there, and they're not sure. all magicians. So yeah, it's uh, well, the, the, yeah there's a big neon sign behind him that says Magic Nightly, but yeah, uh, but uh, but yeah, the one Elaine connection doesn't seem like a magician. Hmm? Elaine does not seem no, like a magician. <laughs> I assume that she was like at a club next door. Oh, that could yeah. be. That could be. Yeah. yeah. And and so, yeah, and so he gets some tepid applause. They seem mildly amused. Yes. I, I mean, and as the act goes on, and in particular some of the interplay with Jamie, his daughter, um, they, yeah, they seem to be, uh, instead of being awed by the, the, you know, prestidigitation, they instead become more amused by the fact that he seems fairly inept, and yet everything comes off as planned. So, you know, it's like that idea of, like, you think somebody's not going to be able to do something, and then they pull it off, and so you're kind of mm-hmm. like, oh, that's cool, you know, I, I, I appreciate that. 
Yeah, for sure. They're appreciative. Sure. That's that's what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I wrote down here like what uh, what a relief for Sam's memory to be wiped from episode to episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, to to brush off, uh, and it is worth uh, worth pointing out that this is the first time that Sam has leaped out of a previous episode uh, suffering significant physical damage. Yeah. And all of the damage is healed now. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, it's, it's actually it's something that Matt mentions in his book as well. And, uh, you know, certainly I, I've seen it mentioned on a couple of the message boards. Um, I, I think that we get enough evidence as the show goes on that there are times when um, we get an inkling that the leaps take time. Like, I, isn't there an episode where Al says something about how they haven't been able to pin him down for, like, two weeks or something like that? Uh, well, the, the pilot episode, they established that uh, um, that even though the leaps are instantaneous for Sam, in that specific case, Sam had been bouncing around in time for six days. Yeah. So so it does so it does seem to, to me to think that um, there's a possibility that, yeah, that there is time that is elapsing within the leaps that might allow him to heal. I think one could also say that the leaps, you know, have some sort of restorative effect on him. I don't Proper, know. Property to them. Uh, and also if you've never read the novels, I know you have read the novels, but for anyone listening who has never read the novels, uh, also a lot of them, they kind of play with this idea of, of, of what, of what Sam feels and what it's like for Sam, like while he is in limbo in between leaps. Which is an interesting side note. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Even the very first one, I think, which is uh, our, our second one, uh, Too Close for Comfort, uh, talks about that because it's like when he leaps in or something, it's uh, it's remarked upon. Um, but yeah, luckily he is he is wound free and, and not yeah. a, you know a beaten, bloody, weeping mess. Rightfully yeah. so, uh, uh, given the circumstances of the last episode. Yeah, it, it is worth noting, even though I'm going to come back to later, I'm, gonna, I'm going to argue why this episode actually takes place earlier than the chronology than, than other episodes oh, sure. that we've seen, than including Black on Wine and Fire. Yes. Uh, but it is worth to note that he has leaped just about an hour and a half away drive time from Watts to Oakland, California. Yep. Um, so there's only about an hour and a half drive time. Um, and he's leaped nine years. So geographically, he's leaped a small distance. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, but again, I'm, I'm going to argue, I think this episode takes place immediately after Leap of Faith. And I will make my case for that later on. Hand link. Um. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hand link. Well, also, and, and rewatching it right before we started recording, there is a line that Sam has that indicates that this leap took, takes place right after that episode. Mm. We'll, yeah, we'll come to that. Now, I, I may have misread something, so you, you could clear this up for me, but as I was reading a couple of things, uh, including in Matt's book, was this episode filmed before Leap Home Part 2? That's a good question. Because there was know. something about like a, an associate producer or, or something that, that this was the first time that he had been on set mm-hmm. prior to A Leap From Home Part 2. And when I read that, I thought, wait a minute, was this filmed before Leap Home Part 2? 
That's interesting. Which wouldn't be the first time. It wouldn't be unprecedented for that to be the case because we've got episodes in season two that were filmed in season one. Even though Uh Honeymoon, for instance, which is the season two premiere, was filmed for season two, there were episodes that took place in season two that were filmed before that episode. So, you know, it wouldn't be out of the question, but it, it was definitely a surprise to me when I read that. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I'll look back into that deeper. It's, you know, the, the interesting thing about Quantum Leap for me is that when it comes to the chronology of the show, it is very, very difficult for me. And, and, and this is because probably, of, you know, due to a young, a young person's brain viewing it very literally to think of episodes or, or things taking place in between episodes. And I remember when I picked up my first novel, which again was too close for comfort. And it was like this episode or this takes place between episodes Leap for Lisa and, you know, whatever. And I was sure. like, well, wait a minute. How is that possible? Because at the end of every episode, we get to see where he's going. We get to see the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I get that, sure, uh, you know, allowing for the possibility that maybe he's bouncing around in time and other things are happening between those things, fine. But it is kind of an interesting concept, I think, within the context of the show. So to think that this episode could take place sooner than it actually falls within, you know, the the viewing order uh, is weird. To me. Well, sure. I, I remember like <laughs> reading, reading the, the note that you noted in, in Too Close for Comfort when I was a kid. And I was I always had the approach that after the series was canceled and as the novels were coming out, that if they ever wanted to do another made for TV movie of the series, but they didn't want to have to address the weirdness of the final episode and what that introduced, they could always do a leap that took place in between you know, they could just put up a, a title card that says, you know, this, you know, this episode takes place, you know, in between this episode and this episode. Sure. And, and so you don't have to address all the weird crap that the series finale introduced. No, it's very true. And it's, you, you know, we've, we've touched a little bit on this and not for a while, but obviously when we were talking with Matt. We, we spoke a little bit about Doctor Who. Uh, one of the things that's kind of fascinating about Doctor Who is that they're um, during sort of the wilderness years between 1989 and, and 2005 when the, the show was, was restarted. There were a series of novels that took place, and unlike a lot of other sort of you know media that that like Star Trek novels or the Star Wars novels or whatever that usually get relegated to being just like entertaining side stories, but not really a part of the real story. These novels were considered a part of the real story of Doctor Who, and they, um, the Missing Adventures subline or the Past Doctor Adventures, depending on whether it was Virgin or BBC that was producing them at the time. Um, they would take place in between existing episodes. And there are a couple of times when the authors would get into a little bit of trouble because it was very difficult for that to have happened because there are references made at the beginning of like the next episode to something having taken place just, you know, shortly beforehand. Um, but it, yeah, it, it is interesting to me that, that I, I don't know, I guess as I, uh, here I sit in my thirties and I think to myself, yeah, I'm okay. If, if something took place between these leaps, why not? You know? Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, but to get back into this episode. Yeah. Um, so yeah, talking about you talking about like Sam is stumbling through this thing to the, to the entertainment of the audience. They stumble through the, the, the classic woman saw it in half yes. trick, uh, there. And, uh, and then they limp, they stagger <laughs> uh, tails between their legs, rabbits between uh, their legs, right? Ra- rabbits between their legs. Sure. <laughs> there we go. Uh, they, they get off stage and uh, Jamie, who right now we only know really as his partner. And I think through the dialogue here, we find out that Jamie is his daughter. Yes. Uh, you know, she's like, you know, 
What the hell was that about? <laughs> who, who I will say just right off the bat, not even waiting until we get a little deeper, is really the star of this episode. Not Scott Bakula, not, you know, Dean Stockwell, not any of the others. Like, she is the star of the episode. I would say so. And she, let me uh, let me pull her up here. I was looking at Lauren her. Woodland. I, yes, yeah. is the name. She has done a lot of stuff. Right before this, she had uh, starred as the daughter of the main character on Alien Nation, which yes. apparently she had been very well reviewed in the role. Um, you know, it's kind of just playing a, a role beyond her years. Uh, funny enough, that she spent the past eighteen years. Um, in a in a starring role on The Young and the Restless, so she's been very very active. Um, because obviously, if you're in a daytime soap, you're you're busy. <laughs> you are you are working quite a bit. Yeah, I went to college with uh, with someone who she was a soap opera actress for a while. Okay, Chriselle uh, Strauss. She was on, I do believe, All My Children. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, if I'm thinking the right one, All My Children was eventually canceled, but she was a character on there for a while. And what's funny is uh, I, I went to college, like I said, I went to college with her, did a couple of, of shows in the theater department there. Um, a lot of people tend to think of uh, soap operas being like a, a stepping stone to something bigger or just something that an actor gets stuck in. But actually, that's what she aspired to when she was a kid. Mm-hmm. She wanted to be a soap opera actress, and so she achieved that pretty quickly. After after college let out, um, and I try to watch a few episodes. Sure. I try to be I try to be supportive, but uh, it, you know, so soap so, poppers so are my thing. No, but they do fascinate me, and the reason why is because I, when I was younger, my mom watched. Um, uh, days of our lives pretty much was, was her thing. And so, sure. uh, during the summers, especially, but if I was homesick or whatever, you know, I would end up inevitably watching it with her. Um, and you know, as a kid, I just was like, Oh yeah, this is a show. This is, this is, you know, what a show is. And then of course, as I got older, I was just sort of like, wow, uh, these things are kind of bad. Uh, <laughs> you know? yeah. and, but now I have to say that while I don't consider them to be any sort of high form of art, that knowing a little bit more about what goes into the process and realizing the fact that a lot of times, you know, the actors getting the script like the night before and, you know, they're not they don't have the luxury of a lot of post production that they pretty much just shoot it live and then boom, it's done. You know, they don't get a lot of takes. They don't. There is something kind of remarkable about the process and realizing that they're able to do what they do with such a. um limited process. And I, so I, I think I have that, a certain newfound respect for that. Um, for sure. Yeah. You know, I, 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 it's a little unfair perhaps to compare it to Daniel Day Lewis. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, anyway, so yeah, she's kind of like the star of this, the star of this episode. Yeah. Uh, and, and so from this dialogue here, uh, we learn that uh, Harry, who is Sam, who Sam has leaped into, Harry Spontini, um, he has an audition coming up the next week for the Bill Bigsby show, which he mistakes for the Incredible, the Incredible Hulk. Hulk. And we get clarify, <laughs> it's actually The Magician, which we were talking about before we, we started any record. Uh, the Magician was a TV series starring Bill Bigsby that ran from 1973 to 1974. Uh, he was a magician, but he also solved murders and crimes yeah. on the side totally. uh, 
And uh, actually, I watched, I found a YouTube video of the opening credits of the show uh, before we started watching. And it's really fascinating, like reading up on it. It it was something like, um, actually, I I found this one article arguing that the show really should have been a huge hit. Yeah. Uh, Bill Bigsby certainly had star pedigree at that point by The Courtship of Eddie's Father and My Favorite Martian. He certainly, the, the show had all of the parts that it took, but it was hit really hard by there was a writer strike that mm. happened just as the series took off. Okay. Um, and also there was a, there was a weird uh, mid-show adjustment because the series started yeah. off like he, he would go around like flying on, on an a airplane. jet. And then they suddenly changed it to uh, he lived by much more modest The Magic Castle. The Magic Castle. And apparently that was influenced by uh, 73 to 74 was when... Uh, we had the gas shortage when sure. we had that crisis happening. And so I guess it was like an optics thing of the network got worried that it looked bad to have uh, one of its characters on a show like be be charting around and a private jet yeah, yeah. jet setting around. Uh, so that's why they moved his uh, character to something of more modest means. Two quick tangents that I want to throw out there. One is that uh, mentioning the gas shortage that it reminded me of um, Thou Shalt Not, which is an episode sure. yep. that I was reminded of while watching this episode because I, I will say, I, I don't think that this episode ever gets quite to the level that Thou Shalt Not does uh, as a whole, but there are moments within the episode that echo the sort of the melodrama um, that Thou Shalt Not did so well. There are a couple of moments in particular that really, really stand out, and um, you know, one of them even has to do with a room in Thou Shalt Not when they go into Danny's room, who who has died on the plane crash, for instance, and the in this episode when they go into what is supposed to be Jamie's room in their mother's house, like they're, they're that the power of, 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 of place and, and things, um, you know, it's, it, I don't know. There, there's some stuff that's done really well. It reminded me of that. Um, but the other tangent that I wanted to mention that's more directed at the magicians is, did you happen to read anything about the actual premise of the show? Like where, like the origin story, if you will, for Bill Bixby's yes, character? Yes. Fascinating. Cause apparently like he was held captive in South America as some sort of like espionage sort of mix up or whatever. And, and the idea is, is that he was, there with like some rich guy and he used his magician skills or not quite magician skills because he wasn't really a magician yet to escape from the prison but the the guy that he was in prison with died but decided to bequeath to Bill Bigsby's character all of his money which is how he got the plane and you know all this sort of stuff and he became the magician and now he's out there you know as this crime fighter magician guy it's like the perfect sort of you know, late sixties, early seventies premise for a television show. <laughs> oh God, yes, yeah, yeah. And if you find it, like I said, uh, look it up on YouTube. Yeah. Look up the opening credits. It's uh, yeah. The complete series was actually just recently released on DVD. I believe in August of last year. So it's it's out there. It's available. And you know, as a fan of Bill Bigsby, uh, as an actor, and specifically of Incredible Hulk, uh, it was kind of interesting to take a little trip you know, down the, the internet rabbit hole and read a little bit about the magician. So of uh, that for sure. Yeah. And I know we've talked about this before. I don't know if we've ever actually talked about it on Mike, but we're both huge fans of the old incredible Hulk TV show. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny the other day. Uh, so uh, a couple of weeks ago, I just saw Thor Ragnarok oh, for okay. the first time because it, it finally became available on, on Netflix. So, uh, Betsy and I watched it for for different reasons. Me because I I love the character of the Incredible Hulk, and you know, uh, Thor is not a a character that I'm as familiar with, but I, but I do enjoy him in the Avenger movies. Yeah, and uh, 
Betsy watched it because Thor is her boyfriend. <laughs> I mean, so that's hey, how that happened. I, yeah, you know, I cannot blame her. Yeah. Um, so anyway, after like one of the like like the first fight in the movie that Thor and the Hulk have, yeah, I was like, do you want to see how far special effects have come? Did you show her? Did you show her? And so I pull, and so I pulled up on YouTube Hulk. and I showed her Thor fighting the Incredible <laughs> Hulk from the 1988 movie. The Incredible Hulk Returns. Yes, yes. And it was horrible. I realized, like, going back and watching it, it, it wasn't a fight. It was just them, like, shoving each other yeah. into things. And then finally the Hulk throws Thor out of window, which you don't actually see. It's just implied right. that that Thor is thrown out a window. Like, you don't see the Hulk actually, like, picking him up and throwing him. You see him flying out the window. But, yeah. 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 I, he... <laughs> Man, there's so much. We could do an entire episode on 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 the Incredible Hulk or the Incredible Hulk Returns or you know a series of episodes, obviously. But I will say in short that you know for a seven year old kid who loved the comics to watch that movie, it, it was like for whatever reason it was just enough. Do you know what I mean? Like it was just enough mm-hmm. for me to be like. Oh, I get to see it like live. It's not a cartoon. It's not a comic book. It's actually like a person. It was just enough. But now, yeah, looking back on it, it's like, oh, oh, man, we for sure. You know, I will settle for so much less. (laughs) We did. I know I I, I will post. I post this on Facebook uh, right after I saw the Avengers. Like, I, I don't care. Special effects notwithstanding, no matter how good special effects get, the best Hulk out will always be Bill Bigsby. Oh, for right now. Yeah. Because there's there is there is it's something about like it, it was always the it, it was the build up it was the eyes yes. turning green that that first shot and the and and, and the strings uh, as, as his clothes burst loose or or if they didn't even show that like they just showed like general confusion of like the bad guys surrounding him right uh, before Lou Ferrigno appeared there was just something about you know and, and this is all you know. A, a mixture of the music, the contact lenses, but a lot of it obviously is Bill Bigsby. There was just something about the look on his face that was a, a mixture of the anger and the fear and, and, and everything kind of coming through that really just sold you on, on, on how awful this transformation was for him, um, which is something that we don't get um, and I love Mark Ruffalo and I, I love what they've done with the character, you, you know, as a whole. Um, but it's almost there's almost an element of his transformation into the Hulk in the in the Avengers movies and, and especially even in the latest one that is either comic relief, quite frankly, or some sort of, um, you know, like heroic catharsis, you know, adventure action hero kind of thing. And for me, the, the, you know, the, the real draw of the Hulk is the fact that he's almost a hero by default. And like, it, the, the fear the, of, of the yeah, thing, you know, the this is a terrible like, like, thing. Like the pain of trying to stop going through it. And I feel like they, they achieved that in the, in the first Avengers movie, the first time, Mark Ruffalo hulks out. Sure. He's resisting it. They do it mostly in the dark so you don't see the special effects of uh, of all that. I think they were trying to harken back to the TV show with yeah. that particular hulk out. But yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but anyway, so uh, this uh, yeah, quantum <laughs> leap, yeah. So so this comes up because um, because Harry is going to be auditioning for the magician, and we were talking about this off mic beforehand. Like, I, it doesn't seem like this was an actual uh, thing that the magician ever did to have professional magi- magicians audition to to be on the show but also you pointed out by the point that this episode takes place the magician had already been canceled yeah april 15th i believe of 1974 was the final episode so uh, by may 9th yeah it was it was it already aired its last episode now it's possible that at this point they were they were kind floating of around the like a second yeah yeah a bubble yeah you know uh, in limbo or whatever. I, you know, I will say not knowing enough to know for sure that it's possible that because one of the things that Bill Bigsby, uh, wanted to bring to the show was a sense of authenticity. He himself was an amateur magician. Uh, you know, he was coached on, on all of the, um, tricks within the show that, so that he could perform them himself. And and they even mentioned that before, you know, the episodes or whatnot, that, that perhaps there was a, um, a drive to try to find actual magicians and bring them onto the show to have them present, you know, their tricks or whatever, be involved. It's worth noting that the, the sort of the final, um, episode, uh, had a trick called the table of death, which is pretty much exactly what the table of death is in this episode that, uh, a magician died doing not in real life within the context of the episode. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if this was something they did. If it was like something that like West coast magicians were sort of like, Oh man, if I get on that show, I'm set. Um, then, yeah. Then you're made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are you, a, are you a big magic fan in real life? I was, man, I was. When I lived in St. Louis, there was a uh, a very famous magic shop that I cannot remember the name of right now, uh, and I used to go to it as a kid, and when I was probably about 10 uh, years old, I got a bunch of decks of, you know, trick cards, and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I went through that phase. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of other stuff, and... Uh, didn't stick with it, but for a while there, yeah, I was I was really big into it. You know? Yeah, I was like middle school and high school for a while. I was really big into card tricks, and there are a handful that I can still remember really well. Nice. Um, there's a there's a great show on right now that I never watch because I never think of it, but there are a lot of clips on YouTube. Um, it's on the CW. Uh, it's called Fool Me. Okay. And it's done by Penn and Teller. Have you heard of this show? No, I've not. It's a fantastic concept for a show. What they do is they have professional mag- magicians come onto the show. And in, in front of Penn and Teller, who are like sitting like like the judges, uh, day as you know, kind of like think about like American Idol or America's Got Talent, like a very similar setup. Like, sure. you know, like they're sitting in their chairs, and you know, in a, a stadium full of people or a theater full of people, and the magician will come out and will perform uh, a legitimate, very sophisticated magic trick or illusion, uh, which which would wow anybody in a typical audience. And then uh, Penn and Teller will comment, and if Penn and Teller can figure out how they did the trick, they will tell the magician they know how they did the trick, but they will use magician's terms. Okay. So it's kind of like this coded conversation so that the magician knows that Penn and Teller knows how they know the trick, and they have that understanding, but the theater full of people and us, the viewing audience— don't know how they did the trick still. So the trick isn't spoiled for the audience, but if the magician is able to fool Penn and Teller, and if Penn and Teller can't figure out how they did the trick, then they get celebrated on the show, and I think like the prize is like they get to open one night for Penn and Teller at their show in Vegas. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, And so one uh, one of the clips I saw, there's a... He's really popular in Chicago, Dennis Watkins. Okay. 
uh, he has a, a regular show in Chicago called The Magic Parlor. Uh, and he, he went on the show and he did a really fantastic card trick. Unfortunately, Penny Teller yeah. knew how he, yeah, yeah, knew how he did yeah. it, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's funny cause, uh, <laughs> we're going down so many rabbit holes on this episode. Oh God, yes. Yeah. But, um, a, uh, Miles Teller, no, not Miles Teller. That's the actor. <laughs> Uh, um, <laughs> I know who you're talking about. Yeah, right, 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 right. Anyway, um, he just directed Macbeth at, at Chicago yeah, Shakes, he, and yeah. he had and he had done uh, the Tempest um, a couple of years oh, that's ago, right. yeah. and uh, it was incredible, amazing production. Not least of which was the fact that they used uh, Tom Waits' music for it, which was awesome as well. But yeah, I really want to see the Macbeth um, that they've done. the The other thing that that doesn't necessarily spring off of that, but I couldn't help but think about as I was watching this episode is the Scott Bakula film Lord of Illusions. Um, yes, because yep. he plays a you know a private detective who has some sort of like mystical you know abilities, know how, awareness, if you will, in the occult and, and, and magic. Uh, and he's investigating, obviously, a very famous magician. And there's a lot of uh, really cool sort of scenes early on in the film, in particular, where he's going to like you know, the magic castle and, you know, or the analog to the magic castle and having to get into like the secret society of magicians, which is a real thing, basically, you know, I mean, that, that, that exists. Um, and, and it's funny in this day and age that I feel like, um, where all the other sort of, you know, carny tricks, if you will, have basically been laid bare due to the internet and and such things that I think magicians are still kind of holding on to sort of a thread of sort of, uh, a secrecy, um, to, to try to, you know, make people believe as opposed to, um, this is how we do it. And I'm going to entertain you in other ways, but I'm just going to do these things anyway, because that's the tradition, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of fascinating to me, especially being, you know, a fan of wrestling, uh, obviously with the other podcast and all, uh, that's sort of an art form where everything, you know, all the tricks are laid bare. You can, you can, you know, find out anything you want to find out. They'll tell you exactly how it's been done. Uh, and yet they have to kind of go through the, the motions, if you will, the traditions in order to figure out how do you tell a story, knowing that everyone knows all the, you know, what the tricks, what goes behind, uh, behind the scenes. For sure. Yeah. And what I love, uh, uh, yeah. Penn and Teller to, to, to loop back around to them. Uh, first off for Teller, I didn't realize like he talked at all publicly. Sure. Uh, but recently in a video, I mean, it just aired like locally, like, like Chicago for, for Macbeth that he directed there. I was surprised that he actually talked on video. Yeah. Talking, talking about that. Yeah. Talking about that production. I, I swear the first time I might've ever heard him talk was when, when I saw an interview with him about the Tempest. Oh yeah. And that was a, because they had done the show, I think in like DC and, and out on the West coast, I think before it came to Chicago or whatever. And I and just, you know, when I knew it was coming here, I'd read a little bit about it and, uh, and ended up seeing, yeah, an interview with him, um, you know, where he, again, he spoke. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the show was incredible. And one of the things that was so amazing about the show is that, uh, Prospero obviously was, you know, was performing these tricks on, on stage and the actor, uh, Larry Yando, who, who played the, the character in the Tempest, like, I mean, he had to, you know, do, do all of these things. And there were some incredible, incredible moments, especially the final trick that he performs, you know, which is kind of like him releasing all of his power over this magical world. And it, yeah, it, I mean, it was an amazing production and, and it's a shame that I don't, already have tickets to, to Macbeth, uh, honestly. <laughs> I know, right, yeah. Uh, but looping it back around into the episode here, so yeah, we're introduced to the to the idea that uh, Harry is going to be auditioning with the Table of Death illusion. Yes. Um, 
And then they split off in their own dressing rooms. And so Sam is now in his dressing room. This is where we get the first mirror image of, uh, of the episode. Yeah. And Harry Spontini is kind of a creepy looking <laughs> dude. Played by Dan Birch, um, who is an actual magician. In fact, his only other IMDb credit is playing a magician on Columbo. Um, Interesting. Yeah, okay. But he was he was the real deal. He was an actual magician, and uh, he played the mirror image. But no, he, he does have a sort of a look, if you will. <laughs> he, does, he has a creepy look. It reminded me of, and this is, oh, this is a deep dive. Um, Michael, I think I'm saying his last name correctly, Michael Bain. He's the actor who played, um, I can't remember his character's name, but he comes back in time to save Sarah Connor in the first Terminator oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Yes, totally. Michael yeah. Bean. Yeah. It's so, funny Bean. That you bring, it's so funny that you bring him up because uh, one of the things that I wanted to bring up in the context of this episode is that um, we're about to meet Maggie, who is sure. um, Harry's wife. Still, still wife because she ran out on, on him and Jamie. Uh, she one of the things that she's most famous for was playing Jenny in Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, and she's quite famous for having been one of the sort of the progenitors of the last girl trope, which is you know in horror films about how uh, you know all of these kids are getting hacked up throughout the whole movie, but usually there's one person who makes it to the end, and and, and almost always it is a young girl, um, and so she she played that role well. One of the other more famous last girls is, of course, Sarah Connor in the Terminator movie as well. Ah, so, that's interesting. Making all sorts of connections today, man. Well, I'm yeah, you. yeah, but Michael <laughs> Bean, he was in this uh, TV miniseries with uh, Annette O'Toole, mm-hmm. who probably most people will remember her as the adult Beverly Marsh in the Made for TV uh, Stephen King's It. Well, don't forget early. Lana Lang in Superman in the, 3. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> Lana, yes. And and also uh, Mrs. Kent in Smallville. That's right. That's uh, right. But anyway, so uh, he he was in this uh, TV miniseries with her, which was based on a true story called Deadly Intentions, mm. where he was like this abusive husband to her, and she eventually run out, but then like he tracked her down across the country with the intention to to kill her but then he backed out at the last minute and it was like basically the trial they went on like he got scared away from from killing her because he got spooked at the last minute so the trial was all about like whether or not you can consider that an attempted murder or not um so like this was based on a true story the guy eventually went to jail they made a tv miniseries about this oh Guy gets out of jail. Oh, no. Hooks another woman in. Oh. Almost the exact same story happens. Goes back to jail. There's another TV miniseries no. called called Deadly Intentions, dot, 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 again. Oh, God. This time the character is played, or not the character, but the real life person is not played by Michael Bean, but by Harry Hamlin. Oh my God. And I think Annette O'Toole's character, she, like she doesn't appear in this other one, but the, but the woman that she was based on, I think she had a small role in the sequel where she basically, she shows up at the trial. I was like, yeah, guy's a nightmare. <laughs> Did this to me. Oh, Oh, 
But that's not Harry Spontini. Looks like no. Harry Spontini. No, yeah, but it's not he's Harry got Spontini. the you know he's got that look of uh, I'm wearing eyeliner and I've probably put mascara in my beard, like you know that kind of look. Yeah, um, which <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing oh, wrong with no, that. Hey, you know, do you? Um, but, but but yeah, he he does have a certain look, um, and you know this is when Al appears as well, um, and Al has been um, creepy Al. Uh, because yep. he's been spying on the women in their dressing room and goes on to tell Sam that, you know, it's not his fault. It's because Tina's been away for two weeks and, you know. I love that. Yeah, Sam's lying like, God forbid you should have two weeks downtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just the look of despair that, that Al gets oh, on his I know, face. I know, It's just, it's, it's, it's classic. It's just, yeah, I can't even, I can't even necessarily fault him too much because it's, it, the way that Dean Stockwell plays it, it's just sort of like, ah, oh, you poor bastard. Like, I don't, yeah, I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but you poor bastard. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, to go on a tangent in an episode that's just been nothing but tangent so far. Right. Um, I, I did see in one of the, the Quantum Leap groups that we frequently post our episodes in, uh, someone was making a comment about Dean Stockwell the other day. I didn't know this, but he actually had a stroke in 2015. Oh, did he really? Uh, yeah. So he, he has officially retired from, from acting. Okay. Um, and, and so this was like somebody commented and then I did some internet research and I was like, oh, yeah, that is that that is actually the case. And so it kind of laid out his... Uh, it kind of laid out his, you know, his career from being a child actor to, you know, yeah. him kind of like falling off the radar for a number of years before like the mid eighties, before he, he came back and had a resurgence and eventually married to the mob and married to the mob led to quantum leap, so on and so forth. Uh, but it was funny talking about how, like in the, in this article I read, like even for a time he worked as a real estate broker <laughs> as <laughs> if that's the bottom rung. Uh, I'm a real estate broker too, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> So I found that interesting. Uh, it's also really cool. Within that same article, like they posted a uh, a YouTube article, uh, a YouTube video of one of the times that he won uh, Golden Globe. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I think it was Emmy. Uh, I think it was like one of the times that he had won an Emmy for uh, for playing Al on the show, and it was just like just seeing his acceptance speech. Yeah, uh, it, it was just uh, it, it was really cool, and it was like a, a great illustration. Like a lot of times, like. He comes off so natural as Al. Like I tend to think of like there's not much a difference between Dean Stockwell and and Al. Yeah. Because uh, other things I see Dean Stockwell in, like I can see him putting on a character where he seems a lot more natural in this show. Yeah. Uh, but just like seeing him give his acceptance speech, like like no, like there's a very clear difference between Dean Stockwell and Al. Yeah, but you're right. I know exactly what you're talking about because even thinking about like you know Married to the Mob or Battlestar Galactica or you know any of the other things that I've seen him in. In, in more, you know, within the past 30 years, we'll say, um, this does seem to be the most, the most natural, the most sort of like it fits, you know, and it yet, fits me. and yet you're right when you do see an interview with him or, you, you know, you see him, you know, kind of out of Al, it, you know, it's not, it's not him. Actually. Yeah. He actually had like in this speech, like he had more of a speech affectation, almost closer to his character on blue velvet. Hmm. Mm, interesting. Which is a very different character. Yeah. Uh, I, I encourage listeners to, yeah, uh, go, go watch that movie. Absolutely. Or, or just go search on YouTube, like Dean Stockwell, Blue Velvet, because he's only in one scene in that movie, but what a scene. I have to say, the Blu-ray is, is beautiful. It looks good. There's special features. It's, you know, if you if you like David Lynch, I mean, there's no reason. It's like check 10 it bucks. It's like 10 bucks on Amazon. I mean, come on. Yeah. Come Go check on. it what out. But anyway, so so Al shows up. They have, and then Elaine shows up. Elaine, oh Elaine, 
It's her only yes. scene. It's her only scene. It, it, it's her only scene. I feel like I've seen her in something else, but looking her up on IMDb, she only had a handful of credits right. like around uh, around that time, like late 80s, early 90s, and it didn't look like she had much beyond that. Same here. I, I was convinced. I was like, I've seen her before, and I, I mean, she's she's a looker. Um, you know, I was like, I was convinced that I had seen her somewhere before, but I, I could not place it at all based on, um, you know, any of the credits on IMDb. You know, it's worth noting that she had... Uh, you know, like a 20 plus episode run on Falcon Crest. Uh, the actor's name is Robin Greer. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, nothing, you know, nothing else that I would have been like, oh, I've seen that. Uh, so, yeah. so yeah. Um, but she's, yeah, she's kind of in and out because that's when uh, they get interrupted, if that's, you will, by Maggie yeah, and that's Steve. When, uh, well, well, Jamie walks in first and then followed in by, by Maggie and Steve. Uh, Maggie, I didn't jot her name down. Amy Steele. Yes, yeah, we talked about her. Yeah, she her other most notable role is Friday the Thirteenth, uh, and Eric Anderson, I recognize from Star Trek. That's right. He was in that one episode, and that episode sticks out to me. Uh, without doing like too much of a, of a tangent, because we've <laughs> we've got a lot of those so far. Um, that was one of the first episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation that I saw, and in short, the plot of that episode, uh, he's an alien. He's an alien who somehow wipes the memory of everyone on the ship, and then he ingratiates himself as first officer yes. and knocks everybody else below, like, down a rung. Uh, and then he tries to get the Enterprise to do his bidding, uh, having the place of, like, being the first officer while everybody else, like, tries to figure out who they are. Yeah. And that stuck out at me because that's one of the first episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation that I saw. And so for me, it was a twist when it got sure. to the end of the episode, and it turns out he wasn't part of the crew. Interesting, yeah. No, yeah. That, that's interesting. It's funny. I I watched that episode not too long ago, oddly enough, because um, you know, being a, a, a huge uh, Deep Space Nine fan, um, I often will find myself kind of running off on tangents, especially as it comes to the Bajoran character, which is Ro Laren on, on Next Generation. And uh, she has quite a prominent role in this particular episode, played by Michelle Forbes, who also was on Battlestar Galactica, um, because she and Riker mistake one another for being lovers when in yes. reality they're you know usually at one of those they hate each other. Yeah. So it's, Love uh, and hate live so close to yeah. each other in the brain. It's a fine line. It's like pain is so close to pleasure, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, that, that's, that's just a great episode, like an exploration. It really like is. Who, would, who, who would you be if you didn't know who you were? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, he, he did a few other things, including, oddly enough, Friday the 13th. Uh, he oh. was in part four, also known as the final chapter. Um, one of the. Which we know, spoiler, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, he also did uh, a run on 30 something and NYPD Blue. Um, and then I think, uh, oh yeah, the one thing I, I thought was kind of neat, he did a, um, a run on a show called Boomtown, which was a show that only lasted a season in 2002 and 2003 on NBC, but I, I actually quite liked it. Um, I remember that yeah. show. I, I remember the title, but yeah. It was like an LA cop show, whatever, and uh, Donnie Wahlberg, uh, Mark Wahlberg's brother, who was in New Kids sure. on the Block, was like one of the leads, and uh, he was great in it, actually. Um, if I'm not mistaken, one of the reasons they cast him is because he, he had that bit part in the sixth sense at the beginning. And, um, they just were so surprised that, that he was capable of that, that that was one of the things that led to him getting the role on Boomtown. But anyway, um, so anyway, so yeah, they, they, uh, they come in and so basically from, 
from the the dialogue that we get from from Jamie and Elaine and Maggie and Steve, uh, Maggie and Harry are estranged. She walked out three years ago. She wants a divorce now. Her and Steve are planning to get married, and they have an upcoming uh, hearing the next day. Uh, ostensibly, uh, ostensibly, supposedly, ostensibly, sure, why not? No, ostensibly, uh, you, you got ostensibly about the start of divorce proceedings, uh, which we're going to find out is not the case. Yeah. Um, and, and also in this, we found out that the, the reason uh, or the way that Maggie was able to, to leave and, and support herself and make it on her own is like she went out and she got a real estate license. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can, can we just note real quick that, first of all, I, I I don't believe that um, Steve comes off quite as poorly as, you know, Biff or whatever the fuck his name was um, that steals uh, Al's first wife. But uh, I don't know. Why you know, I it's funny that, you, that you bring up Biff, because when I was watching this the other night with Betsy, I I dubbed Steve a low rent Biff, <laughs> which he becomes. But yes. But in this first scene, he's not. that. Yeah. And so that's the thing that's kind of surprising in a way is that um, whereas uh, God, what what is what is. Jerkwad's name that steals Beth away. What's what's uh, Dirk? Dirk. Thank you, Dirk. Uh, it rhymes with jerk. I just yes. yes. Yeah. All right. Anyway, uh, so it, whereas Dirk kind of is immediately just sort of like a guy I want to punch in the face. Like Steve is not that, and I, I kind of appreciated that in, in both his portrayal and the writing. Um, but obviously, like I said, as as we get to know him, he becomes a guy we want to punch in the face. Um, yeah. But I will say that one of the things that I, I couldn't help but think as the episode progresses, like, how in the hell did they get this hearing set up for the next day without notifying him before? Like, come the fuck on. That, that's a good. Well, yeah, actually, I, I didn't think of it then, but I thought, like, there's a thing like later in the episode where uh, Maggie's going to get custody of Jamie. But then the hearing to determine final custody is like the next day. And I'm like, oh, come on. We're we're crunching just some stuff up right. together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a, there, yeah. There are a couple of things that happen in this episode purely because it's an episode of television. And and, and, yeah. and it, it kind of, you know, it, it, it jumps out at me because, again, we've gotten episodes where they don't make that sacrifice. And so when you do see it. Uh, it just sticks out a little bit more, especially because in this day and age in particular, you don't find a lot of television shows that do that. You know, mm-hmm. m- most TV today is able to just tell the story and hope that people are going to tune in next week. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, or just stream the next episode and binge watch it. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, we move to the the judge's quarters next day for the hearing, and this is when it, the the bomb gets dropped pretty early on that they it's it's not just a divorce proceedings, but they actually want full custody of Jamie because they find Harry to be an unfit parent because they don't really have a residence; they have a one bedroom trailer yeah. that they they move from from place to place with. Right, and and they have proof of this because Steve hired a, a private dick to follow Harry around and take some pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the judge real quick is played by Michael Fairman. Um, he is probably known to any uh, sci-fi fans out there as playing Niska on Firefly. Um, he also played Adlai Stevenson in 13 Days. Um, and he actually has played a judge in a number of television programs, including L.A. Yes, Law. That's, that's where I've seen him. I've seen him be a judge yeah, and a lot of other pretty things. Much. Yeah. But here was something that I thought was kind of interesting is that he was also on... Um, the soap opera Sunset Beach 
and the soap opera Young and the Restless, which you may remember, we also mentioned earlier that Lauren Woodland, who played Jamie, has gone on to do a stint on the Young and Restless. Well, before Young and Restless, she was also on Sunset Beach. So the two of them have not only you know shared this guest starring spot on Quantum Leap, but then years later would would at the same time appear on a soap opera. Uh, Sunset Beach, and then go on a few years after that to appear again at the same time on a soap opera, uh, The Young and the Restless, which I thought was kind of fascinating. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I wonder. Did uh, they have the same years agent? ago? There used I don't to know. be years ago. There used to be this online database where um, you know it started off with the idea that uh, every actor is within six degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? But uh, for a while, there was a, a, a website out there that a, you, you could just punch in two actors' names, any two actors' names, and it would connect them for you. Nice. Uh, I, I don't have the time or the ambition or the knowledge to do this. I would love to see a database that you could punch in two actors' names and to see if they could connect those two actors through Quantum Leap. <laughs> Man, it's possible. I'm sure, there's a, I'm sure there's a number of television actors from that era that, that you could very easily do that. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever done it for yourself? For Kevin Bacon? I mean, not even necessarily for Kevin Bacon, but just in general. Uh, uh, I, I know for Kevin Bacon, I did years ago. Yeah. Uh, because I was in a. If you want to get very liberal with the definition of movie, sure. If you want to say student made movie, you could just say worked with because I get all of mine from being on stage with somebody. Oh, okay. So mine was like I was in a student made movie. Uh, with another student actor who was an extra in A League of Their Own. And I can't remember what the connection is from there, but nice. A League of Their Own is just one or two away from yeah, I'm sure. Kevin Bacon. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and since then, like I've been, I haven't thought about it in years, but like I've been like an extra in a couple of movies here and there. So I'm sure that, yeah. Right, right, right. That it wouldn't, it wouldn't take too much. Well, yeah. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, 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 absolutely. It was, you know, at first, the, the funny thing is, is, at first I was in a show with uh, an actor, and she later went on to be uh, in a featured role in Man of Steel, and um, that was kind of like the, the one that I used, but then, I mean, after after a certain somebody kind of blew up, it was very easy for me to just be connected to anybody because I was in a couple of shows with him when we were in college, so. Ah, uh, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Claim to fame. I know. Um, yeah. I, can, I, I mean, I, I, could, uh, I could pretty much get to anybody now. Like, it's like, it's... Oh, for sure. It's, it's, very it's, easy. it's I mean, super uh, easy. Yeah. Especially I, I, since I took, Star Wars. Oh, for sure. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I took classes uh, at Improv Olympic at I.O. in Chicago with uh, one of the main cast members of Saturday Night Live. Nice. Now, you know, little connections like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so they're in this custody hearing. They are indeed. Leap. And this is where Steve uh, becomes a jerk. Oh, what a jerk. Uh, from this, we find out that uh, Al's ex-wife, and this is kind of a goof because he brings up the wrong ex-wife. He says Sharon was his third wife when actually it's been mentioned before that I think Ruth was his third wife. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, Sharon, Ruth, either one, it's easy to get them mixed up. Who knows? Right. And timey-wimey floating timeline. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, you know, there also is there's easily made the argument that, like, once you've had as many wives as Al, you know, and once you 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 treat women as disposable as Al does, then, then yeah, it's going to yeah, it's it's going to get messy. But at some point uh, with uh, custody about third with his third wife, he lost Chester 
the dog. Yeah. Which is great because there's this moment where <laughs> Sam is like, you have a son? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, su- I'm surprised. This woman was written, or this episode was written by two women. Yeah. It just now occurs to me, if this episode had been written by a man, there would have been the joke, you have a son? Well, not that I know of. <laughs> Oh man, they would have done it. Yeah, they would have done it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so it, it is interesting to note that through this entire scene, the hand link is dying. Yes, and and it is causing problems because you know Sam is being asked questions about like what her birth date was, etc. And you know history and, of schools, yeah, things. And, yeah, and obviously Al can't bring any of that up. Because uh, the hand link is 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 dying, he's hitting it, and eventually it finally just yeah. dies. Yeah, and we get one of the shots that uh, I think like stays locked in permanently in the opening credits. Uh, after this point, is like the one shot of him giving like the death blow to the hand link. Yeah, uh, that pops up. In the, yeah, uh, uh, going forward. But yeah, the the upshot of the scene is uh, custody is taken away from Harry. Yeah. Uh, Steve makes a move for like no visitation rights whatsoever. Um, but even Maggie objects to that. So uh, Maggie is going to get full custody of Jamie, but Harry, Sam still has visitation rights. You know, it's worth noting too, that, that Sam is in spite of not having, you know, the magic of Ziggy uh, working in his favor. He really tries hard to, um, you know, to keep Jamie w- with Harry and obviously things don't work out. Um, and I think that it's also at this point where, you know, kind of the, the seed gets planted a little bit for the idea that perhaps, you know, Maggie isn't done with Harry. Um, and, sure. and, and that, you know, and that Sam kind of sees the, the potential for, for, you know, not only Jamie to stay with Harry, but for the family as a whole to be together. Um, it's, you know, and, and it's a good scene. Um, in spite of the fact, again, that, that, that Steve does kind of go from, you know, reasonably nice guy that you're kind of okay with. And it's like, all right, you know, I know we're not necessarily supposed to like him, but at least he seems like a real human being to all of a sudden being like, wow, that guy is a cutthroat bastard. Like, For sure. Well, I mean, it know. makes me appreciate it because, like, it, to me, it doesn't seem like such a turn. Like, he has he has incentive. He has motive yes. to come across as a really nice guy in the first scene. Totally. And then, and then just totally, you know, jab, jab, right hook when we get into this scene. Right. Yeah. Which is exactly what he does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and, you know, it's uh, interesting to note, too, that I will say that the judge at a couple of points seems to be sensitive to um, to Harry as well, to Sam, which is nice because I think it would be very easy for, you know, not only the actor but the script as well to, you, you know, just make Harry slash Sam seem such the underdog that he's fighting, you know, this, this cutthroat lawyer, this bastard of a judge, this shrew of an ex-wife or almost ex-wife. And that's not really the case here. You know, the judge does seem sympathetic at times, uh, which is nice. And, and obviously Maggie seems sympathetic. So again, while I don't think the episode necessarily reaches, 
you know, like five star status, if you will, it's clearly it's clearly a solid three, three and a half. You know what I mean? Even even at this point in the episode, which is nice, because I think coming off the heels of of such a winner like Black on White on Fire, um, which which is a stone cold classic in, in the Quantum Leap canon to to come to an episode like this, especially with the leap in moment, it's easy to kind of just be like, oh, boy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no pun intended. <laughs> but yeah, or was um, it? And it, it? Yeah, it's also maybe interesting to note at this point. Like, it's really bizarre because we don't get the full story from Al of what happens to this family at the beginning. It's kind of dropped in like little nuggets throughout the episode, and you would almost want to think uh, it, it is a big red flag against Maggie that she just like walked out on the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, that's that's one of the weaknesses of the episode is that. She is kind of coming across as the responsible parent, but at the same time, she walked out on her family. Yeah. But then it was a weird thing because, like, at one point, that like it, it sounded like she had dropped out of her family and she's been gone for the last three years. But then Steve makes a comment later on that she had walked out three years ago, but then it took her two and a half years to track them down. Yeah. So that, that, I that, think that that's, that's, a weird that's a bullshit lawyer tactic. Okay, so maybe that was it. But it's. Um, because I just think that's his way of, of saying, like, they're always on the move. They're always on the – you know what I mean? Like, I, I – Sure. I, 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 what, what, what it seems – what it feels to me anyway, like, is that uh, she could have probably caught up with him at any time, that he probably wasn't that hard to find. But sure. that, you know, Steve is using this as a tactic to say, like – For sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it is kind of hard to make the case for Harry. Yeah, I mean, on paper, sure. He he's he is not steadily employed. They do live in a one bedroom trailer. They're constantly moving around. Uh, she's in nightclubs all the time. She is uh, practicing some magic tricks and illusions that could potentially put her in danger. She's not in regular school. Right. It's kind of hard to make the case for Harry, other than the fact that we know from the original history that things did not turn well. Did not turn out well for this family. And other than if I was that kid, I would think that was awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. That would have been the coolest way to grow up ever. <laughs> yeah, that would have been, yeah, that would have been a fantastic childhood. I, you know, I could probably do magic tricks, but, you know, hey. Um, uh, so from there, we go from uh, the hearing uh, to Harry's trailer, and then we get this scene where... Uh, Sam is breaking the news to Jamie that she has to go live with her mom, with Maggie for a while. Yeah. Jamie is, of course, yeah, she's just devastated. And it, uh, it's great because this, this is, you know, this is one of those scenes where, and she's already exhibited it, quite frankly, you know, even in those first few scenes. But, you know, coming back after having a scene away from her, um, I mean, she's she's dynamite and if 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 there is one thing that quantum leap has done well up to this point it is find incredibly gifted child actors for sure <laughs> that can come in on a, uh, come in on a tv show that is not their own yeah be given a chance to shine and and, and so she um i mean she just really chews the scenery quite frankly in this in this sure. scene and and there's this you know wonderful moment where as sam is kind of telling her how things are going um 
that they start off as being this sort of unified front of like, no, we're, we'll fight this. We're going to do this. And all this sort of, and Sam is trying to soften the blow. And the more he, you know, he, he kind of does to say, it's going to be okay. This is right for you. This is what's best for you. All of a sudden it, it creates a sort of wedge between the two of them. And Jamie all of a sudden is like, Oh, you want to get rid of me. And, and it's a really nice moment because I feel like it could have been played in a very sort of, you know, paint by numbers kind of way, but there's a lot of really nice emotion and, and, and it just feels very honest. Uh, and, and I thought that, sure. it, you know, that it, again, it was just a wonderful showcase for sure. For, for, yeah. for, 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 it, you know. it just now occurred to me. Yeah. We have, we have two episodes in a row where Sam is trying to split up with the character for their safety. <laughs> and that character immediately goes to, Oh, you don't want me. You don't, yeah. you don't want to be with me. You don't want me anymore. Yeah. Well, it's true. He wants to be rid that's, of them so he can just leap out. Yeah, no. that's got to be some commentary about life. I don't know. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So anyway, um, but before they go over to Maggie's, they're going. Uh, basically, we're going to the magic shop yes. to be introduced uh, to the table of death, and you know, foreshadowing the the ending sequence. Um, uh, and so, yeah. So basically, the way the the table of death works, or he, he was going to get like strapped into like these four. Restraints, the, the you know the, the the harness or the whatever you want to call it is 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 pulling up with all the swords within, and if he doesn't pick all four locks just in time, he gets crushed. Um, so Jamie gets him set up, uh, which just like not fully like laying on the table, but just gets him set up with like one wrist inside one of the restraints. Of course, Sam doesn't know how to pick locks. One of the few things that Sam doesn't know how to do. Right. Al does, uh, though. Yeah, Alda, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, what does he say, like, in, in, in the... When I was in the orphanage or something like that. I was that. in the orphanage, yeah. he called me Al the Pick. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it is worth noting, so this is where we are introduced to the hand link. The new, the new the hand, hand link, link yeah. comes in. So, yeah, he comes in. I watched this episode twice in preparation for recording. I watched it a few days ago on Hulu. And sometimes on Hulu, I think you do get the syndication cuts. So you do get some cut scenes. Okay. And so I rewatched it on Blu-ray today. There is a scene that I swore existed, but apparently I just made it up in my, my head. I could have swore there was a moment when Al shows up with the new hand link that the new hand link actually gets kind of an introduction. Where Al like actually makes commentary on the new hand link and how it looks so different from the old hand link. Interesting. I could have swore that scene existed. But it doesn't. Yeah. What's that called? I don't know. There's a there's a term for it. We've even used it before on the podcast, and I can't think of it right now. Yeah, but uh, uh, the Mandela effect. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah if, if you, if you, dear listeners, if you, if you remember this moment, uh, let us know. Reach out to us right. because yeah, I could have swore. Um, it is worth noting. Uh, that this was the, the the final design. This is the final version of the hand like that we're going to get. I think it changes shape a little bit. Yeah, uh, uh, over the course of a few episodes, like as they 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 they, they sussed that out. But this is the final design, and this is what Don Belisario wanted. He wanted something that looked as abstract as possible because he didn't want nerds to be pausing their VCRs <laughs> to try to figure out what the buttons on the hand link did. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting because apparently he had a hand and, and who knows how 
much of one, but a hand in the design of the previous two hand links. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had nothing to do at all with this. This was literally just a case of like, I need a new hand link. They designed it. They brought it to him and he was like, great. I love it. That's exactly what I want. A- yeah. As opposed to the previous two where he had apparently kind of sketched out designs or done something, you know, how, you know, it was like, this is what it is. This is what it looks like. This, he literally had nothing to do with at all. Um, and it was just the one that apparently that, yeah, when they brought it to him, he was like, this is exactly what I want. Yeah, and it is interesting to note, uh, I think this is in the the Quantum Leap book, or the updated version, the complete Quantum Leap book, but there, apparently there was one design of the hand link where, this is a really out there idea where the hand link was actually much larger, and Al would almost wear, it would almost look like a guitar, like, like strapped over him. Oh my god. Imagine that. I think I do know um, what you're talking about because it's like a there's like a like a watercolor sketch or something like that with yeah. it. That yeah, 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 yeah. I have uh, a copy it is worth of that noting somewhere that, around here. Yeah, uh, it is worth noting that Dean Stockwell did not like this hand link. Yeah, uh, yeah. He he had preference for for the old hand link that died in this. That's world. interesting to me. It's because it, yeah. this one just feels like the the hand link to me. I, I I like it too. I'm I'm a fan of it. It did because it does feel there's something about it that feels sort of as you were saying abstract and futuristic enough that it wasn't the type of thing. I couldn't just take my calculator and carry it throughout the house and pretend like it was the hand link anymore. Do you know what sure. I mean? You like, got to get a thing. Yeah, there are things, I and mean, there are also there are phone skins out there that you can specially order that that actually have like an image of the hand link. No, oh, I'm sure on 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 the back of it. Yeah, uh, but it, but it's still like like it's it's specially. I mean, it's got the same shape as the you know as your as your regular phone casing. Right. They just have the drawing on the back of it. I'm waiting for someone to actually design something shaped like it so you can actually slap it on the back so it actually looks like you're carrying around the hand link. I'm Once someone makes that, I will buy it. <laughs> I will carry it around. I will go on to real estate showings with that shit. <laughs> and, and people will give me a look. Uh, or it'll be a litmus test if they automatically know what it is. Hey, you're my people. Right, exactly. We have a podcast, by the way. Listen to that. Exactly. Um, I'm going to buy a house from you. <laughs> I'm going to buy Yes, exactly. That's, that, that's what we're going for. Um, uh, God, what was I saying there? I lost my train of thought. But anyway, so yeah, this is the this is the new handling. Yeah, and Sam, and, and so at this point, Sam cannot get out of the restraint. Yeah, um, and so we get this cool visual of Al decides he wants to be on the table, so he boop, 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 boop. he he lays himself out, and puts himself on the table. Yeah, which I, I you know I almost took it as a moment where, and I don't know if this was intentional or not. Uh, this is not something that he was unable to do before, but it was a wonderful way to put a little bit of a spotlight on the fact that he had this new hand link and he was doing sure. things and manipulating, you know, because it, we did not get a lot of these moments where he does stuff like this. In fact, the last, if I'm not mistaken, the last kind of like hand link manipulation of Al sort of thing we had was leaping in without a net. Like he hasn't uh, used it for a flashlight, for a detector of any sort, for any. Like he hasn't really done a whole lot with it. We haven't even gotten a whole lot of, um, you know, center me on blah blah blah, or you know, for a while here. Yeah, he. Uh, I mean, he was kind of floating next to the chopper in the Leap Home Part Two, but they oh, didn't right. really highlight. But they didn't really highlight that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but yeah, I see what you're saying there. Uh, but anyway, this with the introduction of this new hand link. And the fact that we've already seen it in uh, One Strobe Over the Line. We've seen it in the Halloween episode. We've seen it in Black and White on Fire already. 
but since we do see the old hand link and uh, even though there isn't the scene that actually, you know, that actually where Al introduces it, like I remembered, but even though, like you pointed out, like we do kind of see him like showing off what the new handling can do. I'm making the argument that this episode actually takes place immediately after Leap of Faith and before One Strobe Over the Line. Hey, look, I, I can't I can't say that I have a problem with that. Uh, I, you know, it, it, it's. Again, as we were talking about earlier, for me, thinking about the, the chronology of the show, uh, growing up, I certainly always took it very literally that, you know, when he leaps out at the end of an episode into the next episode, that that was all that there was. Um, but I, I think it would be very interesting, not that anyone has any plans to do this, but in so much as there are shows out there um one of the ones that pops into mind is Babylon five crusade, uh, which was, you know, sort of like the sequel series to Babylon five. It was aired all out of order. And, um, the DVDs, I believe restored it to a somewhat proper order, but then J. Michael Straczynski actually went online and was like, no, actually I think this is the right order. So there's like three or four different orders of the show out there. If, you know, Don Belisario, ever decided to say, Hey, you know what? You're right. This episode should have been placed here. I'd be fine with that. Especially if it means we got new remastered Blu-rays with, uh, closed captioning and special features, uh, and commentary and all that. that, that yeah. Great. The audio yeah. commentary that, you know, in that sci-fi behind the, uh, uh, scenes special that they did. Uh, yeah. Kiss with history. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. um, um, there's another, uh, did you watch sliders? Yeah. You know, that was the other show that popped into my head actually. Yeah. Cause they had, cause they ran into that where the slider, uh, the, the timer worked one way in the pilot. And then the second episode, the second through fourth episodes, the timer worked differently. Then the fifth episode, it started working back the old way. Uh, and originally like they, they had, they had written and they had filmed a scene like explaining how the timer worked mm. now. Because that episode was originally supposed to be the second aired episode, but the network decided to air episodes out of order because they wanted to air the stronger ones first to gain a following. Uh, and I remember reading like thing once, like when they reran the the episodes in between season one and season two, uh, the producers of the show actually thought about going back and re-editing that episode and dropping it back into its proper order. Nice, uh, but that that's something like you know time and money and everything like that. Doing sure. Anyway. Yeah, Firefly was another show that suffered from that. Always that seems too, to happen yeah. in sci-fi shows. You know, it's always you know, yeah. Do do? Uh, uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, Sam he can't get out of the thing. Jamie takes us as proof of that. Again, he's 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 intentionally screwing up because he wants to be separated from her. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So then, then from there we get to where do we go from there? Oh, back to Harry's trailer. Um, we get this cute where like Sam is getting ready to basically go on a date with Maggie. That's how, that's how he's planning it. Yes. Like to, to woo her, to go play nice, nice as Al puts it. Uh, Harry's trailer is so small. Al appears in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, like in the shower stall. Uh, it was just like without like making commentary on it. It just does make commentary on how small the trailer is. Yeah. Um, so this is why this is another argument I'm going to make why this episode takes place right after Leap of Faith, because Al is almost kind of poo-pooing the idea of of Sam trying to get back, get back together with Maggie because he makes some some comment like, I know women like this and it's not going to work. And Sam throws back at him. 
if you thought your mom had a second, if your mom thought she had a second chance, would she have come back? Which directly follows the conversation they have in Leap of Faith about how Al's wife or Al's mom stepped out on the family. And that's why they ended up in like in the orphanage situation that they were in. And so like that comment just coming off of the cuff like that. And and Al, like, not giving any dialogue, just kind of, like, silently acknowledging it. To me, that's another argument for, like, why this takes place. Yeah, that's... uh, I I mean, you've got solid evidence. And and, and we know for a fact that it was shot prior to uh, all these other episodes. Oh, they always, yeah. And, And indeed, most likely... Uh, in the same production block as like Leap of Faith and, you know, Leap Home Part 2. So um, it's that weird, it's that weird sort of thing where sometimes, like today, for instance, when I know when they film Doctor Who, it's not necessarily always filmed in chronological order, but it is filmed with the intent of this episode is the fifth episode of this season. We're just filming it before the third episode. Whereas... You know, 30 years ago, they didn't give a shit about that stuff because most stuff was just episode of the week. You know, the great Star Trek reset button at the end of every episode. It was no no lasting consequences. Things weren't really serialized. There were some shows that did did do that. But for the most part, it was just give me give me my 30 minutes or my 60 minutes of television each week. And I don't care about the rest of it. Um, So, you know, the same care wasn't necessarily taken into the idea that we might be shooting this first, but it actually takes place fifth. Sure. Yeah. Or whatnot. But for us scholars studying the show 30 years later. Yes, that's right. As we <laughs> yes. you know, put together our symposium on Quantum yes. Leap. Yes. Uh, so anyway, so Jamie shows up. Uh, and between this and, and bleeding into the next scene at, at Maggie's house, we get, some, we get some comedy bits about how strong Sam puts on the Aqua Velva. Yeah. How strong he puts on the cologne. Uh, he's probably not used to putting on the cologne, putting on cologne to woo women. Uh, no. So uh, probably just not. Sam's natural musk usually does it for him. <laughs> does the trick, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so they go to uh, to Maggie's house, and so they they get inside there. Maggie reluctantly reluctantly lets uh, lets Sam in. Uh, they get in the house. Uh, this is the same house set from Killing Time, fifth season episode. Well, they have it. Yeah, and Jamie even uh, makes the comment about how it's very you know Leave It to Beaver. It is very yeah. yeah it's it's the uh, it's a standard house right there. Uh, this has occurred to me. I hadn't pointed out. Jamie and and the actor who plays her bears a strong resemblance to the Jamie in the Halloween movies four through six. Wow! All right. We're almost for a moment. I'm like, is that her? And I'm like, no, it's not her. Yeah. But uh, Danielle Harris, I believe, is the actor who played Jamie. In the in the Halloween movies, uh, that's funny. Are that's you, the same. You, no, that's just that's the same name of the photographer who took the photos at our wedding. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. Anyway, uh, are are you a fan of the Halloween movies? I, you know, it's funny because uh, lately, for whatever reason, I've been going back and looking at like you know old things that I used to enjoy a lot of, and Halloween was never one of them. I love you know Nightmare on Elm Street. That was probably my jam over Friday the Thirteenth, but I never really got into the Halloween movies. I don't know that I've even seen one of them. Oh, not even the original, which I love John Carpenter. So for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting because it's uh, many of them are objectively horrible. Sure. But it's interesting. Like you had part one, you have part two, part three, complete departure, not the same story at all, because it was their intention 
after they killed Michael Myers at the end of part two, it was their intention to start doing like a Halloween movie every year, but it was going to be like an anthology series after that. Point. Okay, sure, sure. Halloween three flopped. Halloween four through six, they introduced this new story and this character of Jamie, uh, who is related to Laurie Strode's or Jamie Lee Curtis's character from the first two movies. Um, Halloween six. And by, 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 by the end of Halloween six, like they explained that Michael was a killer because of a cult and Paul Rudd got involved. It was, it was just a horrible, horrible mess. Yeah. It was, it was Paul Rudd before he was Paul Rudd. Uh, and anytime I see Paul Rudd in anything else, I'm like, nice try Paul Rudd. I remember Halloween six. Uh, (laughs) So the franchise died for a few years, and then they made Halloween H2O. Oh, yes. Which throws out parts four, five, and six. Okay. It picks up from the end of part two, 20 years later. Wow. Then the next movie follows that. That killed the franchise there. <laughs> Rob Zombie did his two weird movies. Uh, uh, the first one is actually really good. Yeah. The Rob Zombie remake. The best part of the second one is Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> well, you would say that, so because he has because he, he has a, he has a cameo in the movie, and it was so clear that Rob Zombie did not want to make part two. Mm. All of part two looks like it it's it's the personification of a giant middle finger just just aimed at the audience. That's, it was just like, I do not want to make this movie. I hate that I'm contractually obligated to make this movie. Screw you. I was in a play once where yeah. literally at the very end, a guy came out in a middle finger costume and paraded across the stage at the audience. <laughs> <laughs> so now there's a new movie coming out yeah. this fall. Yeah. The new movie throws out all of the movies except for the original. Jesus. And it's throwing out the idea that Jamie Lee Curtis's character and Michael Myers are brother and sister. Because that wasn't introduced until part two. I just don't even know what to... I don't don't even know what to think anymore. First of all, you have have an incredible amount of knowledge about the Halloween franchise. (laughs) Second of all, uh, if I'm creating a franchise, like, don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) Like, just don't, don't act like the rest of the franchise never happened. Like, come on. You know, get, get creative. It's like uh, my parents let me start watching those movies when I was way too oh, young. Oh, same here. And, and they're objectively horrible movies. But I swear to God, if you want to kill me, stand over me in my sleep wearing a Michael Myers outfit <laughs> and a mask. You don't even need the outfit. Just wear the mask. Yeah. Stand over me in my sleep wearing a Michael Myers mask and just wait. Well, there you have it. For me to wake up. And I'll die of a heart attack right there. <laughs> Oh, man. It's funny because uh, just recently and, and, and reading about, you know, um, uh, Amy. Uh, uh, oh, gosh, I'm going to forget her name now because it's not right in front of me. Amy Steele and Eric yeah. Anderson. Um, it, last year, about a year ago, actually, at this time, um, I watched uh, there's these two documentaries. One's called Never Sleep Again, which is uh, a documentary chronicling like the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And then another one called Camp Crystal Lake Memories, which is a documentary chronicling the entire Friday the 13th franchise. Now, when I say documentary, you're thinking probably like 90 minutes, you know, quick sound bites, talking heads, they cover the movies. No, Dennis, I kid you not, these documentaries are over four hours long. 
I can imagine. <laughs> and I have to be honest, I loved every single second of them. I, I, I can imagine. In fact, when I was done, I think I appreciated the documentaries more than I did the movies they were talking themselves. About. <laughs> yeah. Am I just, because uh, we're doing this through Google Hangouts right here, are you wearing a t-shirt of She-Ra on a unicorn <laughs> waving a steel chair, a folding chair? I am. I am. Because <laughs> it's actually not She-Ra, it's... it's Candice LeRae, who is a who is a wrestler, who now works for WWE, but she used to do independent shows around here. And I met her uh, a year ago or so, and uh, I saw this shirt that she had, and I was like, "Well, I have to have that shirt because it's Shira, but it's it, but it's, it's not, you, and it's awesome." That, so yeah, that is awesome. That is the shirt uh, I wear. So anyway, <laughs> back back to Maggie's oh house. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so many this, this episode's a dumpster fire. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, I'm uh, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm loving so, this. So anyway, so um, so they have this talk. And, and so basically, to to make a long story short, like they're, they're kind of dancing around each other. Yeah, Maggie is, she still has feelings for Harry. Uh, Sam realizes that. He's trying to play that because Sam feels like the best way for this to work out is for Harry and Maggie to get back together. Uh, then we get this comedic moment of Jamie has snuck out to the backyard and now she comes in with a knife in her, her stomach saying that this is a really rough neighborhood. <laughs> and it turns out, eh, you know, it was a gag. Um, so then we get the scene that you were talking about earlier. We get to Jamie's bedroom. Um, this is where she's going to stay. And they're like, after having stayed in a trailer all this time, like she's kind of overwhelmed, like having an entire bedroom to herself. And this is where she discovers that her mom took Sarah. Her, her doll. Her yeah. doll. Yeah. Cause she needed something that was a part of Jamie. Um, Sam's trying to make it work. Um, Jamie is obviously not having it. And then we have this cute scene back in the living room. Uh, this is, this is really great, funny scene where, uh, they're, they're, they're trying to reminisce as much as Sam can reminisce, like not having lived Harry's life. Yeah. Talking about like that trip, Virginia beach or new Orleans, new Orleans, new Orleans. Yeah. And then uh, where uh, Maggie says, I'll never, Oh, that, he was really something that weekend and that she'll never look at a balcony the same way again. <laughs> yeah. uh, what were they doing on that balcony? I, you know, I have ideas. Well, yes, yes. Although I have to be honest, when she first said it, as I was watching the episode, what popped into my head this time was like, Oh, he must've done a magic trick off a balcony. Like that, <laughs> that was the innocent thought that popped into my head. But now, now, all I can I, I see something entirely different happening on that balcony. I, I don't I don't think he did a magic trick. I think he made something disappear. Oh. But I don't. <laughs> I don't. That, I that's, don't that, just, that is that is Dennis's Al Calavici moment of the episode right there. <laughs> yes, yeah. hey, all you hey, need is a cigar they, right now. They were married. They that's were in a committed right. relationship. Exactly. Good times. Yeah. Let uh, the good times roll. But anyway, um, yeah. No, you're so, right, though. Uh, it is. It's a really cute scene, and, and Sam struggling to figure things out is really nice. And uh, again, there there are moments that this episode has that really start to kind of just you know rise above that sort of middle ground, you know, and 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 put it in, in not necessarily remarkable status, but certainly above average status. And uh, I don't think the whole episode holds up to that, unfortunately. But I do think that this scene and the scene that preceded it. Um, you know, we get we get kind of a run of scenes here that that I think do really really well with that. Um, For sure, yeah. And, and, and so, uh, 
Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and then, you know, as, as things unfold between the two of them, they end up getting pretty friendly there. And Yeah. They start making out, uh, and this is when, like, you know, let's not do this, let's not do the custody battle. And this is something that, we, that we've glossed over that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, Harry's idea is to buy a magic shop, and that's what's going to support him and the family and Jamie. And so when he brings the magic shop up in this moment, this this takes them on a 180, and all of a sudden Meg is like, oh, it's the magic shop again. When are you going to let that die? So on and so forth. Yeah. So this this kind of kills the moment, and that's when Steve enters. Him and Steve get into a fight. Of course they do. Smooth yeah. move, X-Lax. Yeah, smooth, yes. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Jamie, man, she's just so great in this episode, and her interactions with Steve are, are, are pretty funny for her, but the way Steve talks to her is kind of chilling. It is, because it's like, do you not think that she's going to talk to her mom? Yeah. Because he has that line, it's like, when I get done, like he'll, you're never going to see your dad again. And also, you're a piece of shit who's talking to a 12-year-old like the schoolyard bully, and you're an adult. Like, come on, uh, this, man. This, this is his Biff moment. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Definitely his Biff moment in the episode. And I love, because like, this scene could have gone a different way at the end, where he says, like, you know, you know, gloat now, or whatever he says, but like, when I'm done, you're never going to see your father again. Like, they could have gone this way. Like, they could have had that devastate Jamie and her start crying. And instead, she just looks after him as he leaves with kind of like this F you look on her face. Yeah. Like, like no, like, you're not going to win this thing. Yeah. I like that they went that way. Me too. Me too. Yeah, she doesn't run, like, crying to her bedroom or whatever. Yeah. 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 Uh, so from there we get, uh, the next day, the babysitter shows up to look after Jamie. Uh, we do get like, a, just like a, a very simple, cute little magic trick. Oh yeah. She's, yeah. You put the coins under the cards and yeah. It makes mm. the one coin. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 A little sleight of hand trick. Yeah. Um, she's learning a trade. I mean, come on. She, why, she, yes. like, why should she not be in a position to learn to trade with her dad? <laughs> that, ah, uh, yeah. Anyway. So, uh, her and uh, and her mom, they kind of have this Maggie attempts to have a heart to heart scene. Yeah, but at this point, um, Jamie is still calling her Maggie. Is yeah, not calling her mom. Just, yeah, yeah. It's just uh, yeah, it's just not happening. Where Jamie makes the appeal that no, like me, me and Harry, like like we know each other, we finish each other's thoughts. Like basically, like we we belong together. We don't deserve to be split up. Yeah. Maggie takes off. Mag uh, or Jamie sneaks out. Yes, she does. It. Yeah, and then we get to back to the the courtroom, and mm-hmm. uh, at this point, like, well, even like before we get to the courtroom, we have like one very brief scene in in the trailer where where Sam is getting ready, like he's just kind of like pacing around the trailer, like ready to leave, and then Al shows up, and they have this brief moment where Al talks about how divorce is always hardest on the kids, uh, and but, uh, I, I don't know why this scene exists other than to reinforce the fact that Sam has chosen not to get a lawyer. Yeah. Because in the original history, Harry got a lawyer and that didn't work out. Right. I don't know if I follow that reasoning. Uh, yeah. I, again, when the episode is good, it's good. And when it's not, it just starts to fall apart yeah. like a lopsided Jenga tower, you know? Uh, yeah. Cause I feel like there's both these like, like this only happens because it's an episode of television. Like this only happens because they didn't want to pay an actor to be Harry's lawyer. Right. Uh, and also this scene exists so that Sam can say, I just have a bad feeling about Jamie. Go check on her. So which Al boop, 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 boop outs. 
and Jamie has snuck out. She has gone to the magic shop, and she is attempting to practice the the table of death trick on her own. And Al, consulting the new handlink, says it is not going to go well. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where we have a violation of San Dimas time. <laughs> uh, so previous episode, like San Dimas time is like Al and Sam's timeline. Like once they get in sync together at the start of the leap, they run pretty close together. Yeah. Like if night passes for Sam, night passes for Al. Right. They're about the same time. So Al leaves Sam. Sam's in the trailer. Yes. Al immediately zaps in, checks on Jamie. Jamie's going to die. Yep. By the time Al gets back to Sam, which is supposedly like instantaneous time for Al, by the time he gets back to Sam, they've gotten to the courthouse. They're having the hearing. Steve has already had Maggie on the stand. And now Sam is on the stand. So you got to think like at least a couple of hours have passed. Most likely. For Sam, but only a few moments have passed for Al. Yeah. Again. Well, maybe he just had trouble locating Jamie, and so it took us time. <laughs> for sure. Like, maybe if he took a detour, like, back into the dressing room again. Oh, God. Well, you know, maybe. Tina's gone. Yeah, yeah. A man has his needs. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so anyway, so yeah, he zaps back in. Uh, Sam runs out of the court, and we get this dramatic moment of, of the judge yelling, if you, if you leave, I'm going to find you in contempt of court. And Sam's like, you know, I just have a bad feeling about my daughter. Um, this is one of the rare moments in the series where we get a, a genuine shot of, of, of the actors driving outside, like not on a soundstage. The actors are driving outside, and it's not the desert road yeah. <laughs> that they love using in... Uh, uh, in so many other episodes. Right, right. Uh, it's like, you know, they are they are driving in the city with the top down on the car, and, uh, yeah, you don't see this very often. No, no. And, uh, you know, he almost runs over a little girl on a bike. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's also a hell of a nice car, uh, might yeah. add. It's a hell of a nice car, and that is a hell of a clunky wig on that stunt driver <laughs> <laughs> who is driving for Scott Bakula in those distance shots. Yeah. Yeah, um, but they get uh, they 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 get to the magic shop in time, and mm-hmm. uh, or backstage in time, whatever. And uh, the Blue Mamba—that's the name of the. Yes, place. thank you. Uh, and they can't get in the front door, uh, so they have to go through the stage door. They get downstairs. Um, Al is there. Uh, Maggie ends up taking a chair and puts it to stop the mechanism as as the table is going up, which doesn't sure. really make a whole lot of sense to me. But I guess it's like. If she stops it from getting to the top, then it doesn't drop. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Sam starts working on the cuffs with the the um, lock pick. pick. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is when Al starts. We get another kind of weird sort of San Dimas time, if you will, because Al starts the countdown at six seconds. And I'll be damned if that takes six seconds for him to get around there. Yeah, that is. <laughs> and first off, you're, you're trying to save someone, like having someone shouting over your right. shoulder. Is not helping, especially because it's something that like Sam has never really done before. Like he's not a lockpick. Like he's not like you know yeah. he doesn't know how to do this. We didn't have a training montage at some point of him <laughs> learning how to pick locks. <laughs> and so yeah, and Al is just right over his shoulder. Six, five, four. Five. Like shut up. <laughs> yeah, um, but obviously he rescues her. 
Um, and, you know, everybody's pretty happy about that. Uh, but we go back to the courthouse. Yeah. One last time. And the whole family's there this time, including Jamie. And this is where the episode kind of falls apart for me. Yeah. Yeah, because... It's like we got one scene to wrap this up. Exactly, exactly. And that's fine. I, You know, I get it. But we've seen episodes prior to this, including even just the last episode that, that aired, where things don't get tied up in a nice little bow, where we see that the characters might have some work to do, but that we get left with a certain amount of hope um, you know, again, I, I paralleled the episode earlier to Thou Shalt Not, so I'll, I'll kind of go there again, where there's kind of an element of this family at the end of that episode is not necessarily okay yet, but they're going to be. And that, to me, is sometimes a more satisfying resolution than everything's okay now, bye! And that's kind of what ends up happening at the end of this episode. Right yeah. down to the, I love you, mommy, and it's like, No, Jamie, like, I'm sorry. That is a complete betrayal of the character that we have seen for the past 40 minutes. Yeah, this is almost uh, to bring another past episode into it. Uh, They are so happy at the end of this episode. I expected Jamie to do what the I I can't remember the character's name, but what the the little girl character at the end of Seabride does. I almost expect her to almost break the fourth wall, (laughs) look at the camera and say, don't you love a happy ending? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Everything gets wrapped up in a nice little bow, and we get the, even the, the, this moment of, of, you know, like everything is going to work out well for the family. Alice telling Sam, and then and then Sam's like, "Well, they get back together," and I was like, "No, that's not in the cards." And then Sam's like, "Well, maybe it's time to change the cards." Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, is that I did not have vivid memories of this episode, so I did not remember the the, the tail end, and. There is absolutely nothing wrong with with Maggie and Harry getting back together and it being one happy family again. I'm 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 all for that. But because of the quick resolution of Jamie just being all like mommy and you know all over again and and just like everything kind of getting tied up in a bow, there was a part of me that almost wished if if Al's statement had to have just held. Had been like, no, it's not in the cards for mom and dad to get back together, but, you know, everything works out fine. The magic shop happens. You know, Jamie grows up to do this or blah, 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 or whatever. Like, that would have been kind of a nice statement in a way. You know, the idea it that it's like, it's like they don't need to get back together for Jamie to be okay, for, for all three of these people to be whole people, you know? And instead, you get this sort of, like, romantic moment where Sam's just like, like say, I'm going to change the cards. He goes over and he just lays one on Maggie. And Al like looks at the handling and is like, oh, everything's going to be okay. They are going to get back together. And it's sort of like, okay. It is kind of because like, you know, something we kind of glossed over as, as we talked about the scenes from this episode is like there's a lot of commentary made, especially that Sam makes about like, yes, I understand that at this point in time, fathers are not considered to be good soul parents. Right. Like they need that they need the help from the mother that for a father to be successful, there needs to be a complete family unit. Uh, and, and, and I've kind of discovered this being a new dad and you're about to discover this is, yeah, there are times that you will be out in public with your child. (laughs) And it's a weird paradoxical thing where sometimes like people are going to celebrate you for you being a father out with your child and just supporting yourself and not having mom around. And aren't you being a great dad? And that there, there are going to be other times where people give you a look like, where's the mom? 
<laughs> yeah. Why have why have you been given sole responsibility of your child at this moment? Right, right. Even though you're just a target. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've had those moments, or I've, I've had those perceived moments sometimes. But anyway, so like there, there's a lot of this talk of, of just like uh, this idea that, that fathers can't be good parents on their own. And I feel like maybe like getting the whole family unit back together at the end, it just kind of undercuts all of that. Yeah. And in and, 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 and a slight way that, that you can't be good parents to a child unless you're together. Right. It does, it does feel that way. It feels very much like, you know, you have to have a mother or father and you know, you have to, and, and, and that's fine. I'm, you know, I'm certainly not criticizing that, 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 message. Uh, but I, I think that it's equally valid to make the statement that you don't necessarily need that, you know? And, and, and so I I think the episode unfortunately ends up falling a little flat at the end for me because it rushes to try to make things tidy as opposed to realizing that it's a little bit more honest and it's also okay when things aren't tidy. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, I mean, you can make the argument that maybe not getting divorced was better for Jamie, but then there's also it's like staying together when you're not supposed to be together. Right. That's horrible on a child, too. And and the other thing is, is it's like really was all that needed to happen was for Harry to kiss Maggie, and that was going to make sure that they stayed I know, together. It, it, it kind of plays in that. Yeah, it kind of plays in that trip that we've talked about. It, it's like this this uh, uh, patriarchal thing of like if I kiss it, it is mine. Yeah. That there's your kiss with history. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there we go. It does. It's like that magic kiss. It's like you know the prince waking up, you know Snow White. The you know it's just sort of like in this case Snow White's not comatose. She just doesn't realize how much she loves him. You know, like that's kind of the message here. And and again, I I don't want to be hypercritical because the episode certainly has a lot going for it, but. It, it just feels like maybe they tried a little too hard to make everything okay by the end of the episode. That's all. Yeah. 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 There's a, I saw a meme several months ago. Uh, this is the last tangent before we start to wrap it up. But talking about how, you know, like a lot of times when you talk about like the high divorce rate in the U.S., which isn't as high as what it used to be. Yeah. But when people talk about the high divorce rate in this country, they tend to talk about it as a bad thing. And I saw this meme that was actually spinning. It was like, like no, that's a good thing. Mm. That means that people who are in relationships and they are unhappy, they're not just staying in a relationship because they're, quote, supposed to be in that relationship. They're actually taking care of themselves and they're moving on. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was interesting. No, I, 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 I agree. I think that there's, yeah, that the, the, there is a profundity, for, quite frankly, to that statement that uh, a lot of people would be quick to denounce because of this belief that if you get married to somebody, that's you're supposed to be making the right choice in that moment. You know, like like we're infallible creatures in that in that one aspect. Um, so, I, 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 yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Well, while I'm not necessarily going to rush out and celebrate a high divorce rate, because obviously the romantic in me wants people to stay together. You know, it's like you get married, you get married. Sure. But to to be able to look at it from that perspective and recognize what you said about people realizing that they're not in a healthy you know place for themselves and that they need to move on or get out i I think that is something worth noting and worth appreciating um you know if if not celebrating but uh yeah yeah i 
again, for, for, for an episode that's 28 years old and, um, you know, dealing with something that even at that time, you know, certainly on the rise. And I can remember as a kid knowing, you know, uh, probably knew more kids whose parents were together than were not at that particular point in time, that that was quickly changing. You know, I mean, by the time I was like 15 years old or so, it was probably about 50, 50 almost. Um, you know, that might be an exaggeration, but, but close to it. So I, I think for its time, Sure. Why not? You know, why not give us a pleasant hour of television that shows us that, you know, a family can stay together and be happy and healthy and this magician will own his magic shop. Absolutely. <laughs> it's also worth noting at the end of this scene as uh, as a defeated Steve is leaving. Uh, Jamie and Al called Steve. Oh, him. Yeah. Which was which was Biff's go to nickname? Go. Yeah, it was yeah. great too because the way Al did it, he still had the cigar in his mouth. You know, he's all just oh, like, yeah. he's all like, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, so so Sam leaps. He does indeed, and and he leaps into you know he he is in a motorcycle gang, uh, which it occurred to me like it, I know it's supposed to be reminiscent of Rebel Without a Clue. Or, or, or some... You know, it's, it's funny because even though the episode is called Rebel Without a Clue, it's much more reminiscent, not of Rebel Without a Cause, of uh, The Wild One with Marlon Brando. That's, a, that's, a, yeah. that's what I'm thinking of. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, Without a Cause. Not a clue, because that's the actual title right, of, the, of the, episode. the episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but funny for story, me, actually, real quick to throw in there. In The Wild One, the name of the motorcycle gang was The Beatles, which is one of the uh, supposed... If you don't buy into John Lennon's magic man on a flaming pie came to him and said, you will be called Beatles theories. Is that that's one of the ways that the Beatles got their one of the inspiration. Ah, see, but like, yeah, through a 2018 lens, my mind immediately went to Sons of Anarchy. Sure. (laughs) Which was which was well after this time. Very also because uh, I can't remember. I can't remember the I don't know the actor's name right off the top of my head. But Bobby Elvis, the character from Sons of Anarchy. He is he is in this gang in this next episode. Oh man, that's priceless. I had I I, I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, did you watch Sons of Anarchy? Yeah, I did. Well, up that? to up to about like the fifth season or so. It got to a point where I was just like, I can't I can't I just can't. I was the same. Yeah, yeah, I was I was the same there. Uh so yeah. Also speaking of uh movie references we didn't know but I had it pulled up here. Uh the Great Spontini is actually a play on the Great Santini. Yes. Which was a 1979 Robert Duvall movie, which had nothing to do with the the plot of this no. of this episode and that movie have nothing to do with each no, other. No, not at all. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. Oh, by the way, the actor's name is Mark Boone Jr., uh, who played uh, that, that's uh, it. who played Bobby Elvison and, and, and is also in the next episode. You're right. Uh, one of the things that I will say real brief here uh, is that uh, I remember Rebel Without a Clue for um, one big fact, and that was as an impressionable uh, nine-year-old stoking my interest in Jack Kerouac. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Because I read On the Road for the first time when I was like 12. I am interested in hearing that story. Yeah, yeah. Next week. Yes, next week. week. Uh, Shout out to some some Facebook people. Uh, Rosen... Uh, a loyal listener and commenter on our Facebook page. She asked us to start uh, uh, giving shout outs or like giving a heads up before we record an episode so people can make commentary if they want. Uh, so we did that for this one and she has commented that her and her daughter, she watched, they watched this episode. Uh, 
several weeks ago, ago. that being the great Spontini, uh, and that they really enjoyed it. Uh, also made a comment about how apparently like the DVDs don't even have subtitles either, yeah. just like the Blu-rays. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. She you know she also uh, brought up a this has nothing to do with this episode, but a, a story that um, a factual article about um, a woman who was a slave and she ended up uh, oh that's right yeah, killing yeah. her owner because he tried to rape her and that and just that the the, the story is extremely similar um, to uh, so help me God and uh, you know it was fascinating just kind of you know thinking about was this a source of inspiration for Deborah Pratt or not and uh, another commenter mentioned something about how um, you know that Deborah Pratt had been influenced by a couple of stories that that, that were similar in tones so that this could have been one of them um, but yeah there's you know some some great dialogue happening over on our Facebook page so please you know join in on the conversation check it out and um, you know thank you again for the reviews um, on, on iTunes and you know keep that up uh, reach out to us on Twitter you know we, we certainly love uh, hearing from you and, and engaging the dialogue knowing that we're not just you know yelling into the abyss about our love for quantum leap <laughs> for sure yeah and so yeah especially uh yeah if you, if you do like our show and you haven't left us a review at uh on itunes or apple podcast now i discovered yesterday they have rebranded that they no longer call the they don't call themselves itunes podcast anymore they're apple podcast well, now. there you go uh so maybe we should change our intro now i don't know <laughs> uh but yeah if you do enjoy it, if you haven't left a review yet uh, please go and leave us a review because that plays a huge part in and how uh, and how quickly we pop up in a variety of searches. And if we pop up in more searches, more people get to listen to us and, uh, and we get to spread the love. Create one big happy community. Yeah. So we can celebrate the, the 30th anniversary next year in style with yeah. a big convention that we are going to arrange and organize right here in Chicago. We are not going to do that. <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> I, I have a 16-month-old child. You, you have a baby on the way. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it'll just yeah. happen in my basement. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Come on down. Are you Albany Park or Ravenswood Manor? Uh, yes. We're literally right on the border. So like, so, okay. so uh, we could go either way. We, we technically are part of both Facebook groups. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we will see you all next week for Rebel Without a Clue. clue. Indeed. Yes. All right. Let's leap out of here. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time. I want to see